0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome everybody to another episode of and Ball with Pat Leonard. I am the New York Daily News NFL columnist and Giants beat writer. A lot to talk about even though it's still May of 2023. The NFL has really become a 365-day news cycle league and something that frankly is never out of the front of our minds it's crazy to say but we're slowly inching towards mini camp and then after about a short month break we're going to head into training camp and start being out there day after day under the sun bringing you live updates from Giants camp and from around the league. Lots to talk about this week. First I want to talk to you about betonline.ag. betonline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest, latest excuse me, easy for me to say, latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. Bet online is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games. You can play right from your home. Head to the website today, or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code Believe—that's B L E A V—to receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Also, want to talk to you about Estate Ninety Eight. Hola, amigos. Pat Leonard from the New York Daily News. And if you're a coffee lover like me, you're going to love Estate Ninety Eight. This ultra concentrated coffee from El Salvador. Which dates back to 1798 is the most convenient premium cafe I've ever had. Takes me three seconds to make an iced coffee, which is perfect for my busy podcasting schedule on Talking Ball. I can take it with me on the go, make it anywhere. And with its rich smell and notes of milk, chocolate, and tangerine, this Essencia Day Cafe has replaced my old coffee runs. Go to Estate98Coffee on Instagram, order, and enjoy. Salud. Actually, drinking it right now. All right, something I had to get out, off my chest all week. I'm recording this a little bit later in the week. Uh, might have even been fiery, even more fiery if I had done it spur of the moment, live right after this rule passed. But I, I think I'm still, I think I'm still um, furious enough <laughs> to give you my um, unabashed take on the NFL owners passing the Thursday Night Football flexing rule. Now, when John Mara came out at the owners' meetings in March in Arizona, I was standing right there in front of him as he blasted Roger Goodell and the rest of the owners for even considering flexing Thursday night football late in the regular season. That day in March, the owners passed a rule that allowed the league to schedule teams for two Thursday night games in a single season instead of one. Now, already you're talking about player safety concerns and John Mara had that concern as well. That passed and his concern in Arizona in March was the flexing rule had nearly passed and he envisioned that it probably was going to in May. Now, that's exactly what happened. Now, back in March, they said it was going to be 15 days out they could flex a game. They pushed it to 28 days. But what does that matter? How much of a difference does that make? The bottom line here is that Roger Goodell and the NFL owners, and not everybody voted yes for this. There, there were some nays. There just weren't enough of them. This is all about the bottom line, the almighty dollar. Paying ticket holders be damned. The NFL owners have decided and are saying out loud that they care more about the people watching at home than the people buying the tickets to sit in the stadium and watch the games as diehard fans. Jerry Jones told reporters in Minneapolis after this rule passed recently that he agreed, while he agreed this was a fan issue for fans at the stand at the stadiums, while flexing a game could affect people's travel plans and affect whether they can even use the tickets that they spent all that money for and that they planned their life around that week. He said, listen, the reality is that only 7% of our fans have ever seen a game in the stadium. That is as loud and clear as one of the NFL's owners and leaders can say. Buy our tickets, but you're not our priority. It's really disgusting and they say it's on a one-year trial basis. They can flex up to 2 games between week 7, 13 and 17. So, they have the right to flex two games maximum this season between weeks 13 and 17 with 28 days notice. The crazy thing about it though is even 28 days out, how do you know the game you're flexing into 28 days out is going to be as relevant and big and good of a game as you think it's going to be when it gets there a month later? You can't even guarantee that there. And obviously the primary concern here is twofold. One. There's the player safety element. And two, there's the ticket holder element. John Mara said something in March that stuck with me. Part of the reason he was frustrated was not just because he thought it was, in his words, abusive for fans, but also because the NFL and its owners and Commissioner Goodell had bypassed the Player Health and Safety Committee and the NFL Executive Council in order to push this to a vote in the first place. It's one thing for the league to push rules that don't make any sense, which we'll get to, that go through these committees. It's another thing to bypass the committees, which obviously implicates that or intimates that they feel like it wouldn't have passed if it did. You get to the point now where you could have a family of four either traveling to a stadium or buying tickets to a stadium that's a half hour to 45 minutes away in your hometown, planning a night or planning a weekend around, let's say, taking your kids to a Sunday afternoon game, finding out a month late earlier that you cannot take those kids to that game unless you're willing to take them to a Thursday evening post 8 p.m. start game leading into a school day on a Friday. Just one example of what the NFL just announced to you, they do not care about as much as they care about the almighty dollar and about making Amazon happy. As I wrote in the Daily News, why did Jeff Bezos need to buy the Washington Commanders when he already owns the NFL? Amazon whines about a negative schedule that they get, a bad schedule that they get, weak games that they felt like they had in the 2022 season. But as John Mara said, we should just pick better games. Why are we flexing now games into Thursday night football and creating new issues, new unintended consequences, or frankly, consequences we can easily foresee that the league simply just doesn't care about? Now, speaking of rules that make no sense and have me incensed, then the NFL goes ahead and they pass a kickoff rule that essentially is leading us closer and closer to eliminating kickoffs in football entirely. The new rule is this. If you fair catch a football on a kickoff or a free kick, like after a safety, anywhere behind the 25-yard line, you automatically get a first and 10 at your 25, the same as if it was a touchback in the end zone. Normally, and generally, I am all for any rule that is positive for player safety, that helps eliminate concussions, that makes the game safer. I'm all for any of that. The problem I have with this rule is that I talked to so many coaches and players who did a ton of research on this rule change when it was proposed between March and May before it was voted on finally. And they determined that a lot of the statistics showed that as one coach told me, this is not going to accomplish what you think it's going to accomplish. They found that out of the 19 concussions on, conco- on, on kickoffs last year, only one of them happened to a returner. Uh, they found that in a lot of cases, they said that you look at these plays, if you think that you're going to eliminate all concussions on kickoffs by doing this, you're not realizing that with this new rule, Coordinators and coaches are going to seek an edge wherever they can find it, and you could have more squib kicks. You could have more angled kicks that are bouncing end over end and twisting and creating chaotic returns and collisions that are unfamiliar. You're possibly shortening the field on those collisions where now the coverage team is not able to decelerate as they approach the ball on these kickoff coverage plays And it's leading to higher speed collisions and the same amount, if not more, of these injuries. And really, too, players felt like several years ago in 2018, when some rules were changed on the kickoff, as far as where personnel could line up, when those rules were made to make it safer, it was kind of a warning shot to the players and to coaches, make this play safer or more could be coming. And they felt like that's exactly what happened is they took matters into their own hands. They held themselves accountable. And yet in recent years, concussions have gone, I think it was from 10 to 12 to 19 in the last three years. But another element is this, the coaches and players feel like a couple of things. Number one, when the NFL doctors told them they had data that showed that this rule had worked in college football, and that was a reason they wanted to try it in the NFL, they said, well, what data are you basing that on? And the doctor said that they had one season's worth of data from the Pacific 12, the Pac-12 conference to show for it. College football, A, is not the same game as the NFL. And B, does not generally keep thorough, if any, records on these types of concussion data, uh, evaluations, et cetera, that are kept now in the NFL. And basing it on one season's worth in the Pac-12 You might as well go and base it on a baseball league somewhere. I mean, it's not, it's not even close to the same sport. Of course, there is a self-preservation element you would think and, and imagine. And I know from talking to coaches and players that listen, like you look at the giants guys like Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin, who one of the things they do best is cover kicks. And they've done that their whole lives and earned a job in the professional football in the NFL, because they're good at that primarily. And now that's being taken away from them in a lot in large part. And, you know, people like that, players like that are going to probably lose roster spots and lose jobs because of that. There's other reasons, obviously, like you, as a player, you want to be versatile. You, you want to be able to contribute on defense or offense and not just special teams, but special teams is is a third of the game. It's a key part of the game. And they don't want it to be taken out of the game. And while Rich McKay, the chairman of the competition committee, suggested that they don't want to eliminate special teams or the kickoff either, their actions speak differently. And um, the the fact of the matter is, I think Andy Reid said it best. He said, like, eventually this is just going to be flag football now. For Andy Reid, that would be good because he has Patrick Mahomes. And <laughs> he's the best quarterback in the NFL, so he'd be the best quarterback in a flag football version of the NFL. Um, Here's another thing too. And I think this is an overreaching frustration of people around the league right now. The Tua Tagovailoa mishandling, the mishandling of his concussion that has created, that created a blowback. The NFL, regardless of what they say publicly, the fact of the matter is they started pulling more people from games over concussions. Evaluating more people for concussions, and they hadn't been doing as much of that prior. The reason they started doing it last year was because of the obvious, um, frightening nature of their lack of protocol followed on the Tua concussion against the Buffalo Bills, on how Tua Tagovailoa comes back and plays and stays in the game, and on how he ends up with a career-threatening level of concussion concerns to the point where during the offseason, season, Tua Tagovailoa is considering retiring. So the coaches and players also feel that those 19 concussions that are reported and the, the rise or the spike from 12 to 19 is also attributable to the fact that the NFL started taking concussions more seriously last season. And I think it is impossible to look at a set of data or statistics on concussions from the NFL and NFLPA on these issues and not consider that very real thing that happened last year with the league and teams trying to cover their own butts because of what happened with Tua Tagovailoa. This rule changes the game. It could change strategy. It could lead to, I saw Josh McDaniels, the Raiders coach saying, it could lead to something like, uh, you know, changes in how teams either accept or don't accept penalties in, enforced on the kickoff, on plays prior to it at the end of scoring drives. Um, you know, you could you could accept the penalty, and um, you know, you could lead to either one of two ways. You could end up shortening the field, and then a team might actually be more interested in trying an onside kick. Let's say it's enforced and you're kicking off from the 45 or your own 40, you might be more prone to try an onside kick because you're already not going to kick it over top behind the 25 because somebody could fair catch it there and get it at their own 25. So if you end up getting penalties out to the 45 or 50, why not just try an onside kick anyway? Or you could pooch it straight up into the air and create a violent uh, high-speed collision for the football at the point of the ta- of attack on the kickoff. The bottom line is this. These coaches they went down to NFL films, they met together. There were guys like uh, Bill Belichick, Dan Campbell, Sean Payton, John Harbaugh getting together talking about this putting their support behind special teams coaches, behind players, going to owners and pleading with the owners, you have to reconsider this is not going to do what you think it's going to do. And actually Roger Goodell ended up postponing the vote on this rule change from Monday to Tuesday at the owners meetings because he didn't have the votes to get it done. Some owners spoke up, stood up and spoke up and spoke out against it. And Goodell ended up whipping up the votes and then getting it done on Tuesday. And so part of the nauseating politics, I'll leave you with this on this issue. Part of the nauseating politics of the NFL is this. Players were so incensed and had gathered. It was basically one player for every team and some special teams leaders on conference calls together. And they eventually agreed, we need to make a statement, a a public statement about this. And I am informed by sources very well and accurately that these players were discouraged by some principles. Um, You know, I'll just leave it to your imagination, but there were owners and the commissioner and the NFLPA and people involved in these conversations. Players were discouraged from and convinced from away from otherwise doing so they were discouraged from releasing a statement that would have really put the full force of the players uh group behind detesting the the result of this rule so um, I thought it was pretty shady and and backhanded and kind of ugly that behind the scenes we saw players with one intent um of what to do and that there were people behind the scenes discouraging them from doing so because of the politics going on behind the scenes between the PA and the ownership and uh, and the commissioner. Now, moving on to football, is this same old Jets or what? Aaron Rodgers with a calf strain on the first open day of OTAs? Can you make this up? You can't make this up. The Giants are already ahead of the Jets offseason just because their starting quarterback didn't pull his calf, stretching before practice. And I, listen, I'm not ma- mocking Aaron Rodgers. I actually popped my calf recently playing basketball. I know exactly what it feels like. It's not pleasant. And unfortunately, when you hurt your calf, all they tell you is to rest it. It's like, hey, great. That's the last thing I want to do. I want to go out and I want to go out and play my sport again. I want to run. I want to jump. I want to work out. I want to play football. In Aaron Rodgers' case, I want to work with my receivers. How frustrating is that? And this is something we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. We don't have a guest this week. Um, I am, I have enough to say and so much to say on so many of these issues this week. I wanted to keep it solo, but we are building out, uh, continuing to build out our guest list, not only for the off season, but into the 2023 season. I think you guys are going to be excited and ecstatic about what we have to bring here on talking ball. Um, So I appreciate you listening to me for now, but um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, one of the most important things for Rodgers is to acclimate himself, get comfortable with and develop some chemistry with the people he is playing with. That's important for any quarterback, but Rodgers really likes to have control at the line of scrimmage. He is one of the few quarterbacks who, uh, if you're a coach, you want to give that control to him at the line of scrimmage because he knows exactly what to do with it. Very little surprises him. The important thing, though, is that the receivers have to know what he's adjusting to. What is he What is he switching to? What are his signals? What is his preferred mode of communication? And it's a lot of that kind of backyard football type stuff. Not saying it's not advanced, just it's a lot of stuff that's involved in playing with someone for a good amount of time. And if the Jets think they're going to have a great season, and they surely intend to with the defense coming back from last year with some of their additions with Rodgers at the head, and you know... Robert Sala already put out there. He feels like they're one of the six to eight teams that can get it done this year. You can't can't have a large part of the off season where Aaron Rodgers isn't healthy enough to be out there playing real football and throwing real routes with his guys day in and day out. For Rodgers, a, what is it, four-time MVP? A guy who is so talented that if he's on the field, he instantly makes your team better. That's all well and good, but the Jets are in, The AFC East, this is not the NFC North where the Jets with this kind of roster, you know, you take Aaron Rodgers like last year's Green Bay Packers, you put this Jets defense on that Packers team last year, you know, you're strutting into the playoffs with 12 wins or 13 wins or whatever it is. You look at this team, you look at a team like this Jets team where, yes, you have the defense, but You don't have Rodgers clicking right from the jump and better yet, there are health concerns with Aaron Rodgers who's already up there in age. You're going against the Bills. You're going against the Patriots. You're going against the Dolphins team that while I feel like they're still shortchanged at quarterback, has a strong roster and has a lot of speed and is not a pushover. And so you're not in a division where you're definitely going to finish second anyway because you have the talent and you have Aaron Rodgers. You're in a division where you could finish fourth if Aaron Rodgers misses five or six games. This is concerning, and as much as it might mean nothing down the road, and we all hope it does because it would be fun to watch Aaron Rodgers on a new team play a full season, take the Jets to the playoffs, this is something that can't be ignored and is a an even bigger issue and I even think it's being made out to be the fact that Aaron Rodgers so early is now dealing with this calf issue and better yet that the off season program right now is not starting with as much consistent on field, full health work as you would like to, when you're the jets trying to put everything together so quickly and make an immediate run. Two quick football points and then we'll get you out of here for Memorial Day weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Tom Brady is now a minority owner and stakeholder of the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm not telling you he's coming back, but I will say this. A rule was passed this week by owners that NFL teams can have an emergency quarterback available, a third emergency quarterback available in the stadium in case both both quarterbacks who are dressed for the game on the official roster, get hurt. And secondly, because Brady is a minority owner of the Raiders now, the only team he can play for now if he comes back, as he's currently a stakeholder, is the Raiders. Add to that that Jimmy Garoppolo, we find out now, had foot surgery after he signed with the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm not a conspiracy theorist but i do put information together and connect the dots when they when they're put in front of me i know family's very important to brady right now i know he doesn't need to play football at all i know that he has proven everything he has nothing left to prove and i also know that the raiders are not exactly a roster that you look at and you say hey you put a quarterback on this roster and they're going to be great i mean you know they're in the afc west right patrick mahomes a Russell Wilson-led Denver Broncos team that I think is going to be pretty good, actually, with Sean Payton coaching it. Um, you know, or not not certainly not a bad team, I feel like. You look at this, you look at this division, even the Chargers who perennially underperform compared to the expectations preseason every year, but certainly not a pushover with one of the better quarterbacks in the league as well. I'm just saying if at some point it doesn't occur to Tom Brady or to somebody affiliated with the Raiders that that's not at least a possibility that he could end up coming back and wearing the silver and black especially when we know there was already a dalliance between Brady and the Raiders a couple years ago when he ended up going to the Buccaneers man oh man i'm just saying is it is there a is it going to happen i'm not saying it's going to is it likely it's going to happen i'm not saying that is there a 1% chance? I think it's impossible to say there isn't. Lastly, Giants update. Uh, nothing new on Saquon Barkley, but I will say this Darren Waller looks every bit six foot six and imposing number one passing receiving target for Daniel Jones that the Giants acquired him to be. I was at their first OTA open practice, it was their third overall this week. Waller looks like, you know, if you, you ever play pickup basketball, he looks like the first pick in a pickup basketball game. When you pick teams, you just see the guy walk out on the court. You're like, yeah, I'll take him. I mean, he's, I would be surprised if Daniel Jones doesn't force the ball to Darren Waller, um, you know, at, uh, during the 2023 season, Jones honestly even sounded legitimately excited to have him. Like he stood there and talked to us and said, you know, sometimes you see a guy listed on a roster, at six, six, but he's really only six, four, six, five. He goes, this guy's really six, six. He can fly. Um, you know, he's, he's got some weight to him. He can run every route. And, um, you know, it's only seven on seven. The defensive backs really aren't able to play the ball, aren't able to play the ball. So, you know, the jump balls that Waller caught from, from Jones were passes that, you know, could have been batted down or one maybe even picked off and um, that kind of thing based on a real defense plan, but they're just trying to get that chemistry going and flowing. And Waller looks really good. He, we all know, but you know, this is nothing new to say. Everybody knows he's a good player. If he's healthy, he's 30 years old. So he's not a spring chicken anymore as far as NFL years go, but you can easily tell that if he's on the field for the giants for 15, 16, 17 regular season games. You can see why there should be some excitement about excitement about this offense, taking the next step. Assuming obviously Saquon Barkley is in the fold, which I do think he will be. My personal opinion is they get a deal done because the best version of the giants does not include Saquon Barkley holding out and not being on the field. And I think they know they need their best version of themselves this season because they put a lot of eggs in that basket And I think they'll find a way to get it done prior to that mid-July deadline, though I will have much more on Saquon um, in the coming weeks, probably do a special episode on that coming up in the next week, two or three, leading into that kind of June to July break. But the other noteworthy part I would say about the Giants that I noticed on the field is that the high draft picks aren't necessarily being handed anything or slotted anywhere prominent right away. Now, Deontay Banks, the first round pick the corner out of Maryland, just graduated the other day from college. Congratulations to him. So um, he missed a day or two to start. And so I think part of that also is kind of acclimating him. You're not just bringing him back off of that quick road trip uh, down South and kind of throwing him into the fire. He's learning um, and still learning the verbiage and the, and the system and I think they like him watching a little bit, and then playing with the backups as opposed to just throwing him in as a number one corner. They had Amani Aruwar, Aruwarie, I think is how you say his name with the Lions. Sorry, Amani, if I misinterpret, uh, if I mispronounced that, I'll get it right. He was lined up across field from Adori Jackson um, at outside corner. That was interesting. Um, several players rehabbing. You can go read all of my notes on the Giants first open OTA practice on mydailynews.com backslash sports. But it was also interesting to see that Jalen Hyatt, the third round rookie receiver, was pretty much buried on the receiver depth chart from a standpoint of the reps he got. Um, Brian Dable, the head coach, did say that the rookies are significantly behind. He said that all rookies usually are by his estimation and from his experience, though. John Michael Schmitz, of course, the center drafted in the second round, Um, is snapping for the first team offense to Daniel Jones. So that's an exception there. Um, But like I said, go look at all of my coverage at tons of notes about who wasn't there, who's lined up on punt return, who looked good, who caught some passes, um, and more personnel deployment that interested me on both sides of the ball. I will continue to cover Giants OTAs through the mid-June minicamp and also the rest of the NFL throughout. Training camp starts in late July. Uh, We'll have this podcast continually going, maybe a week off here and there as we kind of reboot and line up our guest list, but many more great guests to come. Please don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe this podcast on YouTube, on Instagram, on um, Apple, Spotify. You can subscribe there. You can rate us, give us those five stars. Go to YouTube where you can subscribe and I have live Q&As that we're doing on YouTube. We have YouTube shorts that you can go and find where I react to certain things right after they happen or deliver some even some breaking news or just updates from a Giants practice, from a Giants game, from a post game. It could just be me sitting at home after making some phone calls and talking to sources about what's going on around the league. Going to have tons more content, especially coming on that YouTube channel that you can't miss. Again, we are sponsored here by Bet Online and also Estate 98. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great Memorial Day, and we will talk to you next time on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard.